All right, open your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Genesis, chapter 2. And I'm going to read a few verses there from 4 to 8. Uh, Before I do, uh, we finished our series on the book of Acts, at least our Sunday morning sermon series on the book of Acts. Man, that was a great time. And we're going to be continuing to go through Acts in our Wednesday night Bible study, along with the question box questions as we get those and so we are, I think we're about halfway in our Wednesday night Bible study because we, we tarry a little bit longer, right, over some of those topics. But in, in what has become our normal rhythm, uh, we're going to move from a book of the Bible uh, to a topic, right? So we'll go through a book of the Bible. We'll cover a topic. Then you have usually Advent coming up in December, January, foundation time, you know, getting the year started, going over some of those core things. Uh, and then, most likely, right back into a book of the Bible. And I'm really excited. I'm always excited, but I'm extra excited at the beginning of something uh, just because I can see at least a large part of it laid out ahead. And I think that this is going to be a blessing to you. Uh, so Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4, I'm going to read there uh, and then I want to pray over the word as we receive it and, and begin to talk about it this morning. Genesis 2 and verse 4. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living soul. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man he had formed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the care and concern that you show us as your children. God, I thank you that you lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. God, teach us as we teach them the way that we should go uh, to experience the fullness of life that you have in store for us. And we thank you for your grace and mercy on us in the meantime. In Jesus' name, amen. So I told you two weeks ago when I went through Psalm 77, which is still just stuck on me. I got to share it here and I got to share it at Overcomers with Asaph when he was going through that troubling, that dark night in his life. We call it the dark night of the soul, right? And his line in there that I couldn't get past was in all of this, in my crying out to God, my soul refused to be comforted or I refused to be comforted and accepting anything less than what God can provide uh, to our hearts, to comfort ourselves with the things that are in our reach, these worldly things that we could just reach down and, and grab. And the Lord has been teaching me so much going back uh, to really, I think, about this time last year uh, about uh, the soul, the soul, what, what it is, why it's there, what it does and what it needs and what it can only get from him. And, and so like this scene here, We've got God, the creator of heaven and earth, forming man from the dust of the ground and breathing 
life into his nostrils and he became a living soul. Yours may say a living being. I like it in the Hebrew. It, it kind of reverses it uh, almost like Spanish does. He, he became a soul living. Uh, and that word soul or that word there that's translated soul is used 753 times in the Old Testament. That's a few. Uh, and the majority of those times it's translated soul. Many times it's translated life. It can also be translated person, mind, heart, creature, body, on and on uh, in, in some of the smaller, uh, diverse contexts and used a lot. And then Jesus would talk about the soul as well. Remember, Jesus said, what does it profit a man? What does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits, loses his soul his life, not just his, his, his living expired, but he actually loses his soul. And that word in the Greek used 105 times in the New Testament. Right. Yeah. 58 times uh, soul, 40 times life, and then sometimes mind and heart. But Jesus said that even if you gain everything, and you miss this thing, you won't have life. That this, your soul, is where real life is going to be found and reside. So you've got Genesis, God breathed into man, he became a real living soul, a soul living. And Jesus saying, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose their soul? Or our soul, rightly set, is real real life. And so we're going to begin talking about this, but we, we, the, when you hear the word soul, you've heard it before, right? You've heard it before. What does it mean? What does the word soul mean? And it gets kind of fuzzy, right? Because I have heard it. I do have an understanding of it, but if you ask me to communicate it, I'm going to translate it probably a few different ways. I mean, again, it had to be translated different ways in different contexts because it's, there's such a fullness to it. When we say, well, what does it mean? We get a little fuzzy. And now I would have always said, well, it's, your, it's the seat of your mind and will and emotions, right? Because I grew up in church. That's what I learned. It's the soul, the seat of your mind, your will and emotions. But even that, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? That's like saying, what is a wife? Well, it's somebody that a husband's married to. End of definition. Right? And is that a true definition? Yeah. Is it a full definition? No. And if that's the only instruction you get on it, you're going to be in trouble, buddy. You're going to be in trouble because it's not a deep definition. So just today, today, we're going to see that, you know, when it comes to the soul, I mean, I, I are one. I have one. I am, I is one, right? That it exists and that it's important. And, and I want us to kind of use this as, as a frame as we move forward because we're going to talk about some things that I think are going to be uh, really, really helpful because over the years, what, what, I, what I've seen looking back is there's been a lack of attention placed on our soul. Lack of attention placed on our soul, which has resulted in a lack of understanding of it. We don't even understand it really well, even though I is one. I have one and it is life. There's a lack of understanding. And because there's a lack of understanding, there's a lack of 
care. There's a lack of care for our soul. A man named uh, Jeff Boyd, as, I, as I'm reading about this, I'm finding a lot of things. A man named Jeff Boyd, who is a Yale psychologist and a Christian. Y'all aren't a little surprised by that. You should be, maybe it was a while ago that he graduated. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, but he's a Yale psychologist and he's a Christian. And he did a study of church attendees. And he asked that question, what does soul mean? What is a soul? What is it? And what he found that, that, that it was pretty fuzzy for a lot of people, but that at least half of the people surveyed adopted what he called a Looney Tunes theory of the soul. First of all, anybody in here not heard of Looney Tunes? Right. It's a little bit older. I mean, you get introduced to some of the Looney Tunes. You, know, you got Space Jam and stuff and New Space Jam, which I haven't watched. But, uh, you know, that's not true Looney Tunes. True Looney Tunes is going back a ways. Right. It's older than me, obviously, but I watched it when I was younger. And he said it's a Looney Tunes version of the soul where if Daffy Duck were blown up with dynamite, because that's what they used to do in cartoons. They would blow people up with dynamite. You know, you don't see that happen on Dora the Explorer. <laughs> what happened? Can you say explosion? Anyway, if Daffy Duck were blown up with dynamite, then there would be a transparent image of Daffy Duck that would float up from the dead body. Yep, cartoons. The translucent image would have wings and carry a harp. And from the air above the dead body, the apparition would speak down to Bugs Bunny, that rascal rabbit, who was the one who had set off the dynamite, right? And so that's kind of the vision, he says, that most people have of the soul is this, this immaterial, wispy part of you that, that, that goes on after you die. That that was the limit of their understanding of the soul. And the, the soul or the thought of it, what his goal is, is to try to reintroduce soul language and understanding into science. Now, it's not going very well because culture and science are vexed by the soul because they can't scan you with an x-ray and, and see it. Right. It doesn't show up under a microscope. And, and so what we're seeing is the desolinization of culture and society. We don't understand it. We can't pinpoint it. So it must not, it must not really be. But we know and consider our soul to be a source of strength, right? You hear that. Well, that person is a, a, a special soul. They're a kind soul or such a sweet soul, right? And, and we know that our soul, or you can even say our spirit on the inside of us sustains us even in physical weakness. We know that it can be a source of strength. We also know it can be a source of fragility because it can easily be at risk. And you see this in the way we talk about it, uh, in the way we describe it. And you even have in history, you know, and in uh, entertainment, all these different examples of people selling their soul, Right. Did you know that eBay has a rule that you can't list your soul for sale on there because they had so many complaints? People were trying. I'll sell my soul. $2,000. I need to do something. And they actually have a rule in place now. You cannot sell your soul on eBay. So if that was your plan, it's not working. But, but we, we will call people a lost soul. They're a lost soul. They're a troubled soul. So we see it as a source of strength and we also see it as a, a source of fragility. 
It shows up over and over in our stories, in our entertainment, in our own speech. When we see somebody or hear of somebody doing something incredibly heinous, we'll say things like, do you not have a soul? Do they not have a soul? And what we're really meaning is, does your mind with your will and and with your values and your conscience, is it not troubled by what your will has decided to do and your body has carried out? Do you have no soul? Do you not have a governor in there that's steering things? We, We speak these things out loud. And over and over, the soul keeps popping up because it is there and it is important. It can't be avoided. It, it shows up everywhere because it is eternal. And, and I posted a quote on, on Facebook and I'll read it today just because you didn't get to see it. It was from a play called Our Town. You may have heard of that, right, by Thornton Wilder. And I just loved this because I felt like it, it, it really drilled down into where we are. And the character says, now there are some things that we all know, but we don't take them out and look at them very often. We all know that something is eternal and it ain't houses and it ain't names and it ain't earth and it ain't even the stars eternal and that something has to do with human beings. All the greatest people who ever lived have been telling us that for 5,000 years and yet you'd be surprised How many people are losing hold of it? So again, lack of attention, lack of understanding, lack of care. And such a, it is a broad, it's a broad thing. As I was studying this yesterday, uh, writing down the last of my notes, sitting beside me, uh, there is a, was a dictionary from 1944. And I only have that because some family had cleaned out uh, building recently and found this. It was my great grandmother's. Uh, it was a dictionary, and like, it wasn't a good one. It's not. I mean, it's falling apart. Uh, it's it's barely held together. But they thought you like books, you would like this, and I do. And so it's sitting there, and I was like, hey, this would be cool. I'm going to look up and see what the definition of soul is in the 1944 Noah Webster dictionary. And even then, the spiritual, rational, and immoral part in man, reason or intellect, conscience, life, essence. Moving or inspiring power, courage, and then just for good measure at the end, human being. (laughs) Human being. And so you see how hard it is to wrap around what this thing is. What mysterious and marvelous thing did the creator do when he breathed life into man and he became a soul living How valuable is it for the Savior to say, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul or you forfeit your soul? And so seeing this importance in it, we're like, okay, it's there and it's important and I have some effect on it. What next? What next? The first step to caring for something is understanding it. If you don't have an understanding of something, how can you care for it? Like your car. If you don't understand how it works or what it needs to work well, how, how well are you going to be able to care for it? Right? What if nobody ever told you you need to change the oil in it? For a little while, things are going to go just fine. And then it's going to come a point where it's going to stop going fine. 
right? There's air filters and there's sensors and there's all of these things. And apparently you're supposed to put more air in your tires in the winter. And none of us knew this until the car started telling us. I don't think anybody ever did that. We're just rocking right along. And apparently we weren't doing the right. How can you care for something if you don't understand it? You understand the parts that make it up, what their functions are and how they fit together. That's how you can, you have to understand something before you can care for it. And that's whether the thing is simple or it's complex. So when we're talking about the soul, we're talking about the parts that make up a person. And you could do this a a few different ways, but I found this way to be helpful for me in understanding it. At the core of who we are, we, we would find what most would call our will. Our will. It's our ability to say yes or no. It's, it's, our, it's our drive. It's where we even find our, our agency. What makes you, you. Personhood. What makes you a person and not a table. The will that's on the inside of you. And we find in that the ability to create. And, and to do amazing things. And Jesus would talk about the will and, and how we need to figure out how to lead people without violating their will. Because when our will is violated or it's suppressed or we feel like our agency and our ability to decide is taken away, what does that do to us? It just crushes us. It just crushes us down to a very deep level. Scripture uses words like heart and spirit when it's talking about that core of who we are. Heart being the core, spirit being the energy, the power, the life. That, that all resides there in what you would call, could call, the will. And out from the will, you have a mind, right? Again, what, what is the soul? Seat of your mind, will, and emotion. So you're seeing some of these same language come up, but we're going to try to broaden it out a little bit. The mind are your thoughts, your feelings, how you think about things. Usually what kind of person you are, how how that presents in your personality. Well, they're a kind person or they're a mean person. They're a selfish person. A lot of that is coming out of your mind. Your mind is where you experience things. It's where your emotions live. Aren't we thankful for emotions? Right? It's one of those things. It's kind of like the ox in the stall. It can be an issue for us. But man, aren't we so glad that we can feel things, that we can feel that joy, that we can feel that gladness, that that we experience those. And those are experienced in the mind. So the core is the will. Out from that is the mind. And out from that is the body. Our body, it's our little kingdom. Imagine having a will and a mind, but not having a body. That's not going to be very much fun, is it? I want to do stuff. I think I need to do stuff. I can do nothing. I have a mind and a will, but I have no body. And in our body is, is where our habits live and our appetites. And now habits, I'm learning a lot about habits and we'll go there at some point. Um, habits are really neat because they don't require our will or our mind to be much involved. 
right? After I learn how to tie my shoes and I tie them for a lot of days in a row, it just becomes a habit. I don't think about it when I do it. I don't think about which one am I going to put on first. I don't think about, all right, left hand, you got to do this. Well, right hand, you do this. We're going to loop, swoop, and pull, you know, or the bunny goes around the tree. I don't have to do that anymore because I have outsourced that to my habits. I don't have to think about when I get in the car, this is how I start it. it by habit, I do that. There are things that I'm able to do by habit that, that free up my mind and my will to be thinking on other things, doing other things, and being involved in other areas where I'm not having to get down in these details every day. And that can be great, right? What a blessing, or at least it should be. At least it should be. So when you look at this, look at what... God the creator did. Look at what he did. When he formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils, and he became, he breathed that breath of life, that, that, that ruach, that, that Hebrew word for, for, for breath or wind. He breathed that into man and he became a soul living. He gave us a will on the inside of us. He gave us a mind where, where we can experience all these things. We can think about complex matters. And he gave us a body in order to carry it out. Carry what out? The extent of our will. He gave us a will and he gave us a body to carry it out. They're our little kingdom. I mean, we've got mind, thought, emotion, imagination. In our body, you've got strength and ability, the ability to enact agency, our little kingdom. And a great new definition, expanded definition for kingdom that, that I'm learning is it's the extent of your effective will. Your kingdom, a kingdom, is the extent of one's effective will. My body, my will can extend to that, Right? Look at what he did. Look at how, when you consider it, how amazing it is that he did. And, and all of these things together, in healthy integration, working together as they should be, that's our soul. Our soul integrates all of those things from our will to our mind out to our body. Our soul is involved in integrating those things together. And when it's rightly Integrated, man, how healthy we are. Things are as they should be. And if you look at that there in Genesis 2, I really wish it stopped right there. I really wish that's where Scripture was. It was like, and they all lived happily ever after. The end. But it doesn't. There's Genesis 3 where sin comes in. And when sin comes in, there's the disintegration of the soul. There's the disconnection between the will, the mind, and the body where they're not functioning in unity as they're designed by the Creator and everything becomes fractured. So in the body with the habits, right, instead of being good and right habits, what do we end up with? Sinful habits. And what are habits but things that we do without even having to think about it? Things that we do without even having to plan for it. Things that we do without even having to really, this is what I'm going to do. And we find ourselves walking in that way when it comes to sin. That we'll do it without even thinking about it. That that's just what we do. That's our habit. Left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Sin brings about the disintegration of the soul. Starting in the body. 
with the habits. And then it infiltrates our mind, our mind that craves to be at peace. Did you know that about your mind? It wants to be at peace. It wants to be at rest. But Paul says in Romans 8 that the mind of a sinful man is death. Death. But the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Throw that in there. But in sin, I think thoughts that are unworthy of God and His kingdom. I entertain things and desires that are in opposition to God's will for my life. And so we see this breaking down from the body. And in the mind, you're like, it's okay though. My will's still there. I can just will to do the right thing. Will will snap this thing back into shape. Come on, Will, let's do it. Put it back right. Come on. We can still do the right thing, but it's just like what Paul said in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am. What I will to do, I don't do. What I will not to do, that I practice. What's he saying? He's like, I want to do the right thing. Can't seem to do it. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I keep doing the wrong thing. Why? Because there's a disintegration of the soul. There's a disconnection where it's not in right operation together. It's not flowing together. And your will, while it is amazing, isn't all powerful. It's not all powerful and it's not all sufficient. And so we find ourselves being just like Paul and saying that which I will to do, I don't do. What the good that I want to do, I don't seem to be able to do. And the bad that I don't want to do, I keep finding myself doing it. Disintegration. And the disintegrated soul is an unhealthy and hurting soul. One, one quote I found, it was a Canadian novelist. He said, I don't deserve a soul, but I have one. And I know I have one because it hurts. I know I have one because it hurts. The healthy soul, rightly integrated, all phases in harmony, effective and at peace. The unhealthy soul, disintegrated, or as we would say, out of whack and lost. Lost meaning it's just not, it's broken. It's broken and it hurts. And again, remember Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? And what's he saying there? We'll get into this maybe more next week. That when your soul is out of, out of whack, it doesn't matter if everything else comes to you in life. You're going to feel that hurt and that pain of a disintegrated soul. When the will, the mind, and the body are disintegrated and disconnected from God, living at odds with the way that God made the universe to run, you can acquire the whole world and it wouldn't produce satisfaction. It can't produce satisfaction, let alone meaning and goodness, which is what we desire. It's what we want. And so we have one. And when it's disintegrated, man, it can hurt. Man, it can hurt. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus who said, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for 
your souls. So when we hear this language about your soul being saved, it's so much more than just did this person complete the minimum requirements to be able to go to heaven when they die. Right? That's what we think of first. Is your soul saved? Did you complete the minimum requirements to be able to go to heaven when you die compared to his redeeming every aspect of my being, the one he breathed life into this magnificent thing that he created that outside of him gets fractured and disintegrated and isn't able to function properly and hurts me and hurts everybody else because broken people hurt people. And he takes it and he begins to put it back the way that it's supposed to be. So when we pray to him, your kingdom come, your will be done. What am I asking him? Let my life, let my body, let my soul be an extent of your effective will. The way that you would have it to be, let it be so for me by your grace. Like Kelly shared last week, by your grace, save and redeem my and think on what is good and right and do what is good and right. Experience what is good and right. That reintegration, a soul as it ought to be. That I'm under the range of his effective will, that I'm part of his kingdom. And that's why as we read, we see that saved souls are agents of reconciliation. Paul says that because you have been reconciled, you are now agents of reconciliation. Meaning what? Meaning you go out and preach that reconciliation to others. Be like, look, I know what it's like to be broken. I know what it's like to be hurt. I know what it's like for your soul to be disintegrated and it's painful and it's death. But thank God for Jesus that he came. He came for me and he came for you. So that we can experience and we can know the better. But listen, what we'll learn is it's just like it would it would be silly for you to go to bed tonight and pray, hey, Lord, tomorrow I would really like to be in good shape physically. Like I want to wake up and be jacked tomorrow and that would be awesome. And then be able to run really fast for really far Uh, by faith. Thank you. Amen. Right. If you heard someone praying that, you would go, no, Goofy, that's not how that works. You can keep praying it. I've never seen that get answered for anybody. But why? Because that is something that is in the reach of your effective will. That is something that's in the reach of your effective will. Now, if you go to bed, I'm like, Lord, I've got this issue. I need you to heal it. I can't do this. That's in the range of his effective will. But if it's in yours, it's just as silly as me asking him like, hey, God, I would just love it if while I'm asleep, if you could just mow my yard, just mow it. And then I'll pray the whole time tomorrow that I would have been mowing. I'll give that to you. We can work out a deal. Right. You would be like, that's not why, because that is in the range of your effective will. He put man in the garden and said, tend the garden. I'm giving you something that's under the range of your effective will. Your physical well-being is in there and also the well-being of your soul. So how silly is it for us to go to bed and go, you know, God, neglect all the things I did today that are harmful to my soul and just give me the good things. 
any more than say, hey, just take away all those calories I ate that I don't want and just leave the good ones while I'm sleeping. Let's just do that. You can work miracles. You're the way maker. Let's go. But we ask him to do that with our soul and we don't tend it the way that we should when it's in the range of our effective will. And again, we were disintegrated. We couldn't be brought back to right. He brought us back to right. And then he gave us that range of effective will where we can go, okay, I'm going to tend my soul. I'm going to understand it. I'm going to care for it because I'm going to understand out of my soul, great things can come or awful things can come. Great experiences can come in him or awful experiences can come. And so much of it is under my control. So when we pray to him, your kingdom come, your will be done. Here, starting with me, in my, in my will, in my mind, start with me. But I also have to go, your, your word tells me to renew my mind and to present my body a living sacrifice. That there, there are some obediences that I can engage in that are going to help keep everything integrated and aligned and me operating in proper dominion over the area that you have given me authority of. Amen. So as we close today, one of the goals as as we made it through this time together is just to realize that you have this interior life. You have a soul. Thank God. Look look at what he gave you. Look at what he did. It's something so mysterious and yet so powerful. Science still can't figure it out. Secular people still can't figure it out. They're trying to and can't. Only he can do that. Realize that it's there, okay? It is there. And according to the Savior, it is very important. It is very important. And he came so that it could be redeemed. Because without that, we got no hope. Without Christ, without our living hope, we have no hope of ever walking rightly integrating will, mind, body, our soul being saved. But in that, Being a soul redeemed, a soul living and a soul redeemed, understanding that there is something there to develop. Scripture uses the word sanctification, right? Or the renewing of our mind. There's something there to be developed. And here's what I need you to hear as we, as we, this is not just church time. This is not just your quiet time, you know, 30 minutes at the beginning of the day or end of the day, whenever you're reading your Bible, whenever you're spending time with him. This is something that's going to go across everything that you do. Everything that you do, everywhere that you are, this is your whole life encompassed together. He wants to reach over into and have an effect on. Why? Because it's in the realm of your effective will. It's in the reach of your effective will. And he wants you to use your agency to operate that for his kingdom and his glory and what is also your ultimate good. So we realize that we have one, that we have this interior life, that we have a soul, that it is important, that it needed to be redeemed, and that now it needs to be sanctified. All the time. All the time. The same God that breathed that breath of life into man in Genesis is wanting to breathe life into you each day. Each day. He cares so much about your soul that he sent Jesus.
He doesn't want you to know you have a soul because it hurts. He wants you to know you have a soul because you see his glory in operation in it. The same one who breathed that first breath, we need that breath every day. And then we need to know that we are the keeper of our soul. We let things in and we let things out. We are. I are. And that's why Jesus told us to keep it close to him. To keep it close to him. Abide in me. Stay close to me. Because you're going to need it so much. In every area of life. So our soul, we have one. It's important. It needed to be redeemed. And in him, he'll sanctify it and cause it to return back to its first state, which is in right relationship with him, right integration, carrying out his will in first our life and then on the earth in every area of responsibility that we have. And those are some of the things that we're going to be learning about as we go through talking about the soul. Understanding it first, what it needs. Obviously, we need to get it from him. And then we're also going to talk about, as we go further on into this, idolatry. Idolatry. Yeah. Things that our soul will look to other than him to integrate itself, to put itself to right, to bring satisfaction and peace. So that we can point them out, identify them and go, "Mm -mm, my soul refuses to be comforted by that. I find my comfort in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, for what we read that this mysterious and marvelous act of you breathing life and man becoming a soul alive. Lord, that you will expand and renew our understanding of what you have done in us, that we aren't just a body but there is something eternal and important about what you did in us. And when we were far from you, you redeemed us. You redeemed us and then gave us the ability to will and to do. As it says in Philippians, both the the desire and the ability to do what pleases you. And I thank you, Lord, that as we go through this, you're also going to give us the wisdom to learn what those things are that are pleasing and helpful and healthy for our soul and those things that are not. And we know just like our physical body, we don't get unhealthy real quick one day. We get unhealthy over a period of time of making poor decisions and or not paying attention to the blessing that you've given us in this body. Not using the range of our effective will like you've designed us to use it, something that will be good and glorifying to you. Lord, the same is for our soul. Teach us. Teach us the better. Lord, you've not made us to hurt because you came as a help. And Lord, I thank you that as we, as we start to see these things, we're going to experience new levels of life with you. Things that have been available, but that we either neglected or we didn't even know were there. And I thank you for all the good gifts that you have in store for us as we seek that your kingdom come and your will be done 
in all that we are. You gave us the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, all of the parts of us integrated rightly, righteously, as they should be in your world. Thank you. And thank you for your grace and mercy as we grow. Thank you for your grace and mercy as we grow. And thank you for the deliverance that we're going to find in our soul as you teach us the better. As we get ready to go today, I thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with one another. Lord, for those that aren't able to be here with us today, strengthen them, bless them, keep them, make your face to shine upon them, give them peace. If they're traveling, protect them and bring them safely back to us. If they're working, that they'd work to your glory as unto you alone. And Father, if they're weak in their body, we pray for healing and health and wholeness for them and rest to come and strength to return in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we go through this week, that we do so with you in mind. We do so with you in mind. Lord, line us up. Line us up so we can experience all that you are. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.